We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast good morning everyone afternoon evening whenever you're watching this it is may 22nd 2022 and welcome to another edition of the pack a day podcast i'm your host tonight jacob westendorf like i mentioned Previously pinch hitting for Andy Herman. So I'm going to sit in here for today and tomorrow. If you want to get a question answered, I'm going to do a mailbag of sorts uh, tomorrow. So go ahead and follow me on Twitter at Jacob Westendorf and find the tweet asking about a mailbag. I will send it out again, trying to get some questions uh, to answer for you guys. See what you guys want to hear. See what you guys want to hear as far as what I think. Uh, if anything, it can be about football, it can be about life, video games, the NBA, Major League Bay, you know, whatever. Um, whatever you guys want as far as those. Uh, but I'll try and answer those live here tomorrow and I look forward to doing that. As for tonight, what I'm going to be doing is kind of inspired. I'm watching currently the Miami Heat and the Boston Celtics play here and inspired by the Milwaukee Bucks, the team that Boston beat in seven games prior to because your question that you probably have if you're a Bucks fan, is man, just what if Chris Middleton never got hurt? You know, what if he was able to play in that series? Does Milwaukee win? Maybe, maybe not. We'll never know. Uh, it's very similar to last year when you know James Harden and Kyrie Irving were were on the shelf or hobbled, and you know we'll never know. Would would Brooklyn have won that series? I don't know. Uh, they don't take trophies away, and sometimes injury luck is one of the biggest determining factors winning a title as Packers fans. We know that all too well. So what I'm going to do is go through some of the what if moments in the recent history of the Green Bay Packers. I wrote uh, this article on Monday over at Game On Wisconsin. You can check that out at GameOnWI.com for some further explanations. And the first one that I had was what if Green Bay had beaten Tampa Bay in that NFC title game now two seasons ago? Uh, and that game kind of has its own caveats of what ifs, right? What if David Bakhtiari never suffers a freak injury in practice and is able to play in that game? Does Green Bay win? Maybe, you know, we'll never know. That game, obviously, famously, Billy Turner starts at left tackle. Rick Wagner starts at right tackle. Rick Wagner's dragging his leg. The image of him hobbling off the field after that game is over is stuck in my head. 
and probably forever will be just he couldn't move and he couldn't go. And when you're going against Shaq Barrett and Jason Pierre-Paul, two very experienced and very talented pass rushers with uh, and now in Pierre-Paul's case, especially championship pedigree, when they smell blood, man, they can get after it. And that was a game that if those guys played, does Green Bay win? You know, maybe again, I don't know. Uh, but if they do, just say that they win that game. Obviously, we know what happened after that game. Aaron Rodgers went to the podium. He said it's a beautiful mystery, blah, 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 blah. And then everything from the summer of Rodgers ensued. Adam Schefter reports on draft night that Aaron Rodgers has told the team that he doesn't want to return, hasn't demanded a trade. None of that stuff just says he doesn't want to be in Green Bay anymore. And then that whole offseason of just nonsense ensues. Rodgers is coming into the year basically saying like, hey, we can revisit, you know, this season, which, you know, obviously Rodgers has now said he's back. He's coming back. He's going to stay in Green Bay and all of that stuff. Does any of that happen, though, if Green Bay wins that NFC title game? Because if they win, they go to the Super Bowl and they are playing the Kansas City Chiefs, who famously in that game started four guards in a center on their offensive line. You thought Green Bay had offensive line issues going against Tampa Bay. Go back and watch that Super Bowl against Tampa Bay for the Chiefs. Patrick Mahomes is literally snapping the ball and running for his life. They just didn't have any guys left because of their injuries. Now, Green Bay's pass rush in 2020 wasn't as good as Tampa Bay's, but it was still potent. Still got Kenny Clark, who could dominate a game. Zadarius Smith, who was not as good as his 2019 self, but was very good as a 2020 player. Rashawn Gary, who was ascending. And Preston Smith, who had a down year, but he's still Preston Smith. He's still good. You got to feel good based on the way that game went that Green Bay was going to be able to win that game and win the Super Bowl. And if they do that, does everything else from that offseason happen? Like, do the Packers even try and keep the Jordan Love door open? Because that's kind of what set everything off. You know, Rodgers talked about wanting an extension, and the Packers kind of said, well, what about a restructure? And then later offered an extension after he said he was pissed off and didn't want to come back anymore. Does all that just kind of get put to bed the minute Green Bay wins a championship? Maybe. Again, we'll never know. I can promise you that I wish that we did because it would have saved us a lot of headache over the last couple of years. Just some of the nonsense that took place between, you know, what, April of 2021 and March 15th or whatever day it was that Aaron Rodgers said he was coming back to Green Bay via the Pat McAfee show. But that's one. Uh, Rodgers is back, however. Uh, so that's one that, you know, maybe it would have been a, that would have been a bigger what if as far as like everything else. That would have been a bigger what if, if, if Rodgers left, like if Rodgers didn't come back and like say Jordan Love starts and plays the whole season and he stinks and Green Bay just kind of goes in the toilet after being competitive for as long as they have, you know, the last what, 30 years or whatever the number is. That would be a bigger what if in this case, but it wasn't. Uh, but that was one of the first ones I thought of. The other uh, one of the other ones I thought of, I said, what if Favre doesn't Favre? I'm talking about Favre's last game as a Packer against the New York Giants. That was a Cinderella season for Green Bay. They weren't supposed to be as good as they were. They went 13 and three. That 2017 is one of the more fun ones in my lifetime. I was at the season opener that year where Green Bay beat Philadelphia on a last-second field goal. Mason Crosby's first game as a pro, he made a 50-some-odd-yard field goal, and I think, he, I think it was a 48-yarder to win the game on that particular day. So they did, and Green Bay won that day, and then they won 12 more games. And then they get to the playoffs, and Ryan Grant fumbles on their first two possessions. They're down 14 to nothing. It's been a couple of years since Green Bay's been in the playoffs, so the whole crowd was jacked. 
And then it was dead silent. And after that, uh, Green Bay just kind of storms back and blows the doors off Seattle. They win by 20-plus points. And then Dallas loses the following day to the New York Giants. So the NFC Championship game is played at Lambeau Field. And Dallas was the best team in the NFC that year. The struggles that Favre had at Texas Stadium are well-documented. Just all that stuff, it felt like it was destiny until it wasn't. And with Favre, you know, especially toward the end of his career, you kind of knew how the movie was going to end. You know, even when you were rooting for him, you just felt like, okay, but I've seen this before. Like, he's going to have the ball, and he's going to make a pass that's going to hurt you in the biggest spot. And and he did, and he did that a lot more often than he didn't, especially later in his career. And you guys have seen the behind-the-play shot a million times. I don't have to go over it, but Favre throws a pick against the Giants. They end up losing uh, that NFC title game. And I remember – kind of explaining that story a few years later when they played, when he was playing for Minnesota and in the NFC title game and, you know, Viking fans got a little chirpy around that time, you know, Hey, we're, you know, our, your guy is going to win a super bowl for our team. And I just kept telling him, just wait, he's going to break your heart the same way he broke mine for so many years. And then he did, he did. And yeah, there's a lot of things that happened that day that maybe weren't necessarily Favre's fault, but at the end of the day, the ball was in his hands and he should have thrown the ball out of bounds and kicked a 55-yard field goal, but instead he throws it across his body. Tracy Porter intercepts it, and thank God, because I think the Vikings would have beaten the Colts in that Super Bowl as well. But if Green Bay had won this particular game, then we would have gotten far versus the 18-0 and New England Patriots. And what if, you know, this is all speculation, obviously, so that's kind of the fun part of this. Maybe you think Green Bay would have won. Uh, I don't. <laughs> um, Green Bay had the offense to go score for score with that team. You know, Greg Jennings, Donald Driver, Young James Jones, uh, Favre, obviously, is the trigger man. Ryan Grant, they had a good offensive line that year. But the Giants won that game because they were just able to get pressure with four guys. Now, Green Bay's defense that year was okay. You know, Aaron Campman, Kabir Bajabiamila, uh, Colin Jenkins, guys like that to be able to rush the passer. They had Charles Woodson and Al Harris as their cornerbacks. So they had the matchups theoretically there. It's they they it's not OCU Minora and and Michael Strahan who just played out of his mind and they pressured Brady like crazy held him to 14 points um, and obviously you got the mirror and they still they still needed a miracle at the end of the game for David Tyree's helmet catch with the bubble gum stuck to his helmet and before that Asante Samuel drops an interception but if you're telling me Bill Belichick has two weeks to scheme against Brett Favre who again Favre's one of my favorite players ever guys. No question. The reason I'm a Green Bay Packers fan is number four. There's no question about this. But there are realities that we can accept, and he was one of the more mistake-prone quarterbacks in the history of the NFL. Given the greatest defensive coordinator, greatest defensive coach ever in Bill Belichick, two weeks to scheme for Brett Favre, I think Favre would have thrown two or three picks, and Green Bay would have lost by 10 to 14 points. So I personally... I'm only 30, so I wasn't very old when Green Bay lost Super Bowl 32. More on that in a minute. I don't, I've never really experienced the pain of losing a Super Bowl, and I don't want to. So I'm kind of thankful in that case that Green Bay did lose at that point because I think they would have lost uh, that game again. My next one, it's another Favre game, and my question is, what if Mike Sherman goes for it? And this is with a special shout-out to my friend Mark Eckel, uh, my colleague over at Packer Report, and a guy who was actually covering this game for the Philadelphia Eagles. You guys remember the game. It's more famous for the 4th and 26. And I have said since the day that happened that 4th and 26 never should have happened. 
not because Green Bay should have stopped the play, which they should have, but because it was fourth and one at midfield, Green Bay had the best running game in the NFL against a mediocre to below average to honestly bad run defense that the Eagles had on that particular season. And I am firmly of the belief that Mike Sherman in that game, Green Bay goes up 14, nothing early and they're kind of controlling the game throughout the course of the game. And they're down inside the one now and they have a chance to go up either 17 or 21, nothing. They have fourth and goal from the one and Sherman goes for the knockout punch hands the ball to Amon green. And he trips over Mike wall and falls over and is stopped short of the end zone. And I am very much of the belief that Mike Sherman had that play in the front of his mind when he sent Favre out there to try and draw them off sides and punt. And they punted. And Donovan McNabb then goes from there, obviously famously converts the fourth and 26, gets the Eagles in field goal range. Overtime comes, Favre does what Favre does. He threw up a wing and a prayer. I'm still, of all the Favre overtime interceptions, that's the one that might make the least amount of sense just because it was Chuck and Duck. Like, I don't, I don't know what what he was doing, but whatever. that's not the point. If Sherman goes for it, one, I think Green Bay gets it because they're playing a bad run. That's like Green Bay's strength against Philly's weakness. It just makes sense. Amon Green's the best running back I've ever seen for the Packers in my short life. Um, that offensive line was as good as it was. They averaged like they averaged like just under five yards of crack that year. They were just phenomenal running the football that particular year. What would have happened? They would have played Carolina the next week. And they matched up well with Carolina. They talked about that a lot after that, how they kind of lamented that. And then they would have played, theoretically, New England in the Super Bowl. Can Favre go score for score again with a younger Tom Brady at the time? You know, that Panthers team went blow for blow with Brady, with Jake DeLone playing quarterback, obviously. They kicked the ball out of bounds, kind of helping set up Brady's game-winning field goal there at the end. What would have happened? I know or feel like I know they would have beaten the Philadelphia Eagles. And from there... Those Patriots teams were very good, but it wasn't like the 18 and 0 Patriots and Green Bay matched up, you know, pretty well with them and a team that can run the ball and, and control the clock that way. They had pass rusher KGB was there at the time. He was really good. Green Bay was good enough. And that was a, for those that remember that season, that was the magic carpet ride, right? The famous Paul Allen column. No, the Cardinals have knocked the Vikings out of the playoffs. That got Green Bay in the playoffs. Then they did. We want the ball and we're going to score Al Harris pick sixes. them. you know, they win that game. You're riding a magic carpet and that whole team is really believing that they can do something really special. But Mike Sherman instead doesn't have a spine and uh, punts. And when you punt and play the games not to lose, more often than not, you end up losing. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. 
That's indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The second to last one that I had is probably the one you're all but think of. And I put it, what if, well, what if everything doesn't go wrong? Brandon Bostic, Morgan Burnett, Aaron Rodgers, Brad Jones, AJ Hawk, Mike McCarthy, you name it. Everything that could have gone wrong that day in Seattle did. I don't need to relive it. You've probably done that a million times. You've probably seen Tom Grassi's video on that, which is really good. You've probably read Zach Cruz's article on it that was on Cheesehead TV that was really good. There's just so much that went wrong that day. What happens if that doesn't happen, though? Then you get a rematch of Green Bay against New England in the Super Bowl, a game that was already played that year. Green Bay beat them at Lambeau 26-21, Brady famously yelling F-bombs on the sideline. And not only that, we get the Rodgers-Brady Super Bowl that we've always wanted. We've gotten a Rodgers-Brady NFC title game now, but we get that Super Bowl long before that. What would have happened? I think this is an interesting discussion amongst Packer fans just because I feel like we almost guarantee that Green Bay would have won that game. And I do think they would have. But I don't like to call it like, oh, that would have been Green Bay's second Super Bowl with McCarthy and Rodgers and, and that whole team. You know, Jordy would have got one and Cobb and, and some of those guys that were on that team would have got one. I do think Green Bay would have won. They had already won that year against New England. They had some speed against those guys. They still had those same matchups that gave New England fits throughout the course of that game. It's just beating Brady and Belichick two times in one season is very hard. And then beating Belichick with another week in advance is very hard. And not only that, I mean, let's be honest, guys. That Packers team blew a 16-0 lead against Seattle, against an offense that couldn't do anything throughout the course of the game. Like, yes, they were very good that year. The 2014 team was awesome. But if you look at just the trends over the years since 2011, Green Bay has underachieved more often than not, especially in the postseason. And that's true with Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. That's true with Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur. I know a lot of people like to bring up McCarthy, and I understand there's some blame there that is certainly warranted. And he kind of showed his ass in the playoffs this year with the Cowboys. But Aaron Rodgers, McCarthy's been gone for three seasons now, and Aaron Rodgers hasn't been back to the Super Bowl. He hasn't been winning in the fourth quarter to go to a Super Bowl. Like, so it's not like they were knocking at the doorsteps and all they fixed everything. 
So why do we just automatically assume and believe that the Packers would have won that game? I think they would have, but I don't like to talk about it in certainties because we just don't know. And New England ended up winning that Super Bowl. Seattle choked it away, whatever way you want to look at it. Didn't hand the ball to Lynch. Blew a 10-point fourth quarter lead with allegedly the greatest defense of all time. Just all that stuff. There's a lot that goes into that. My number one what if on this, though, was Super Bowl 32 against the Denver Broncos. And it's just what if Green Bay wins that Super Bowl? I think there are a lot of dominoes that started to fall kind of based on that game. First of all, if they win, Brett Favre is a two-time Super Bowl champion and probably wins the Super Bowl MVP of that particular game. And his career is probably like Favre now isn't talked about with the same reverence they do. Like when he made the NFL 100 season team or whatever that was they did just last year. Everybody was talking about like, Oh, Brett Favre made it. Like how did Favre make that team? And Favre is on the short, you know, top, what 20 probably better list of quarterbacks that have ever played the game. I know he leads the league in interceptions all time. I understand all that, but he was great an all time. Great. And his peak was as good as anybody's. And if they win that game, I think the biggest piece of this is Mike Holmgren. Mike Holmgren coached one more season for Green Bay after that Super Bowl. He left and went to Seattle to be the general manager and the head coach. And and the biggest mistake that Ron Wolf ever made in his career as the Packers general manager was telling Holmgren no was fine, that you weren't going to let him do both of those things, that he wasn't ready to retire. He didn't want to do all that. That's fine. Two years later, he gave the reins to Mike Sherman, who was not a good coach. He was a worse coach than Sherman or than Holmgren. And a worse GM than Wolf. So you downgraded in both spots that way. So if Holmgren wins that game, he's a two-time champion now. Um, and there's maybe there's not a statue because that's a lot, but there could be one of him in Green Bay. Who knows? Because now you're talking about a guy that resurrected the Packers along with Favre and Bob Harlan and Ron Wolf and all those Reggie White and all those other guys that did that. And a two-time champion instead of just one. And Now you don't waste that year, 1999 with Ray Rhodes. You don't have to go through that transition year. And honestly, it's probably best for Favre because if you look at Favre's career, like I said, there was that peak and then he got in with Ray Rhodes and Mike Sherman who just kind of let him do his thing. And that was where Favre kind of started to teeter down the brink. And it was only when Mike McCarthy showed up and started coaching him again that Favre got better and you kind of realize like, Hey, this is still Brett Favre. He's still really damn good. Maybe those things don't change. And who knows if, if Holmgren and Favre are together for eight more years or however long, maybe like they win more than two titles. Now on the other side of that thing, if those things all happen, maybe Aaron Rodgers is never a Packer. That's certainly something that could be true as well just the dominoes of that whole thing are, are fascinating to me. Uh, And I I certainly believe like that's a game where that game against Denver, that if they play that, that game 10 times, Green Bay wins nine of them, but it's football and it's a single elimination and you only get one chance and Green Bay blew it that day. And there was, that was something that started at like the beginning of the day. They only had so many defensive linemen active. They had one of their guys, Gabe Wilkins went down early in that game. So they're gassed by the end of the game. They didn't run the ball enough. I think there was Jason Wildy, I think, wrote a story uh, quite some time ago about how, and forgive me if that's not who it was, but 
quite some time ago about how the last play that they ran was a play that they rarely practiced. And they were just kind of arrogant and being like, okay, we're here. We're going to show up and kick Denver's ass and go home. And they didn't. And John Elway, one of the most overrated plays, in my opinion, in Super Bowl history is the helicopter play because it, it got him, it got him a first down. It didn't score a touchdown, nothing like that. I mean, it's just cool. John Elway dove and sacrificed his body. That's awesome. But it wasn't a touchdown. It wasn't anything too crazy in my opinion, but, who knows? You know, who knows what would happen? That's kind of the fun part of these what ifs, right? The the NFL, if you kind of look at it that way. But those are my five. Go ahead and sit in the comment section and tell me uh, what are some that you have. What do you think as far as some of your what if moments in the history uh, of the Packers and, and kind of figure out from there. But you can check me out again on Twitter. Like I said, doing a mailbag show tomorrow. So send your questions to me and I'll be happy to answer them for you guys. And then Andy will be back for these videos on Tuesday morning. But appreciate you guys listening. Check me out at Jacob Westendorf on Twitter. And like I said, send your mailbag questions there and uh, look forward to talking to you guys again. That was fun. Let me know what your what ifs are. Thanks for listening. And I'll the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall he knows the show must always go on that's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working the hvac is humming and his facility shines with Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces plus 24 7 customer support his venue never misses a beat call quickgranger.com or just stop by Granger for the ones who get it done